Welcome to The Art of Badassery, where I explore what it takes to live life on your own terms, break free from the status quo, and unleash your inner badass. Whether you're a rebel at heart or simply seeking inspiration to step outside your comfort zone, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Mahara Wayman, and each week I dive into the stories, insights, and strategies of those who have mastered the art of badassery and are living life to the fullest. They smile when no one is looking. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Art of Badassery podcast. I'm your host, Mahara Wayman, and today I have uh, an incredible guest who's a living testament to the pursuit of passions and the art of resilience. Let me introduce Natalie Rita, a dynamic 37-year-old British expat living her extraordinary story in Germany. Natalie's journey is a tapestry woven with adventure and determination. She met her German husband while backpacking across the vast landscapes of Australia and without hesitation followed her heart to Germany. Eight years later, they continue to create their life's canvas together. Originally hailing from Nottingham, but spending most of her life in the bustling heart of London, Natalie shares a unique connection with her world. Growing up alongside her identical twin sister, they added a touch of mischief to their days, playing tricks on unsuspecting schoolmates. Can you just picture that? From a young age, though, Natalie dreamt of becoming a renowned writer, and her passion for the written word remains as vibrant as ever today. In her current role as an English teacher at a private school in Germany, Natalie's love for language shines through. However, this year, her journey took an exciting turn when she established her own business. She's now a clinical hypnotherapist and a transformational life coach, helping others unlock their inner potential and achieve their dreams. And as if that wasn't impressive enough, Natalie manages all of this while being a devoted mother to a lively toddler and caring for a newborn. Her sanctuary is often the local park where she finds solace amidst the chaos of life. Her favorite pastimes include walking, yoga, and getting lost in a good book. And let's not forget her artistic side. She's a connoisseur of adult coloring books, proving that she finds time for self-expression even when life is a whirlwind. Natalie's story is really a beautiful testament to the art of balancing dreams, family, and self-discovery. Join us today as we explore her journey, her newfound role as a hypnotherapist and life coach, and her secrets to living a badass life. Natalie, welcome to the Art of Badassery podcast. I am so excited to chat with you today. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. So it was interesting, folks. I always, before I hit the record button, I read the introduction back to them that I've written based on what they've sent me. And Natalie right away said, wait a second, you missed out something really important. I can't believe you didn't include that. And we realized that um, I did forget to include something very important. So I'm wondering if we can go back, Natalie, to where your transformation started, because it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. So um, I'm a stage four cancer survivor and My cancer journey started in December 2017. I'd actually just started my role at the school. I got my dream job as an English teacher at a private school in Germany. I was so excited. So I started in the new year in September. And before then, I'd been feeling a little bit down, a little bit off. 
um, but nothing really specific. I went for a checkup and the doctor was like, you know, we'll send you for a colonoscopy um, because I had noticed some blood in my stool every now and then. But she was like, it's probably polyps. You're young. You're healthy. Everything's fine. I went for a colonoscopy and in December 2017, I got pulled into this room. My husband, well, he was my fiance at the time. And the doctor started talking in German. Now I had been learning German, but you know, I was by no means fluent. And I heard the word Krebs and I knew that it meant cancer, but I couldn't really process that. I was like, what do you, what do you mean? Um, and it's only really by looking at, at Conrad's face and seeing his reaction that I realized like, oh, like this is, this is not good. And that was like right before Christmas before my birthday and four months before our wedding. So yeah, it was devastating. I mean, for anybody, when, when you get some really, really bad news, it's like the world just stands still and all the sound just seems to leach out of the room and you just feel like you're in this vacuum and it's, it's terrifying because you feel so alone. And so then we had this conversation on, you know, do you even want to marry me still? Um, which he did. <laughs> he said, you know, we're going to be exchanging vows for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. Unfortunately, the, the bad health came before the vows. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of when everything started. And I wouldn't say that I changed so much. I put my life on hold. I really just kept thinking, you know, I, I don't know how to process what's happening. So I shut it down. I pushed all my emotions down as you do as a typical Brit, you know, stiff upper lip. We're not taught to process our emotions. Nobody wants to see you cry. People have it worse than you do. Um, so that's what I did. I pushed all of those emotions down and I pretended that I was fine when I clearly really wasn't. And I had surgery and chemotherapy. And interestingly enough, because I didn't lose my hair, um, I felt like an imposter because I didn't look like the typical cancer patient. I definitely had a lot of um, experiences with other people, you know, asking me if I was even really sick. So you can imagine, like, there was a lot. There was a lot. <laughs> And um, six months after I'd finished chemo and everything, I had surgery to um, remove the temporary ileostomy that I had. And due to complications from surgery and a one in, million, one in a million reaction to a painkiller I was taking that completely destroyed my immune system, I had a septic abscess and no white blood cells. Like I had nothing to fight off the infection. So I had emergency surgery and woke up quarantined in a room alone. And a doctor came in, you know, with a mask, a gown, the booties, the gloves, everything. And I had no idea what was going on. I had surgery and the next thing I'm waking up and they're like, I'm sorry, there's not really anything we can do. You're either going to pull through or you're not. And that was a really really traumatic time I mean worse than the cancer just being told out of the blue 
you're probably going to die and we can make you comfortable. Like I had just got married. I'd just gotten through cancer and through chemo and, and there I was being told I might die from a one in million, a one in a million reaction to a painkiller. Like, what is that? Okay. So I'm just gonna, I want to just send you a big hug and, uh, oh my God comment. But what really is coming to my mind is, was there any, at any point when you went, okay, this is a joke. I'm looking like, yeah. When, when, when's, when's what's the punchline? And then say, you know, here's the punchline. Because all I can think is this is unreal. Yeah. How, how do you navigate such a unreal circumstance? To your point, we have all heard the word cancer. We all know people and maybe have experienced some level of it very close to our family. So it's become quite a common thing. Oh my God, did you know so-and-so has been diagnosed with a cancer? Mm -hmm. No, that this idea of, oh my God, did you know that so she got the one in a million lottery ticket? It's so unheard yeah. of. So what, what was going through your mind? I honestly, at the moment when I was told like that was, that what happened, I just can't believe it. I mean, I had, I felt like I had come through the cancer, which actually in hindsight, I really hadn't because I had pushed my emotions down, but I had deferred everything thinking, oh, once I finish chemo, I'm going to feel better. Like once I finish this, I'll get better. And then all of a sudden something completely out of the blue took me out. And I mean, I was hallucinating as well because I had a raging temperature and I really had this whole, it's so unfair. This is so unfair. And then there was this little voice who was like, maybe this is it. Like, maybe you're not meant, meant to still be here. You know, like somebody's trying to take you out. Um, and it was just such an odd moment because I hallucinated so much of the time. And then I had these lucid moments and, um, yeah, like my mom was the sole care of my granddad who was dying from cancer at the time. My twin sister was living in China. Um, so she flew over in case I needed bone marrow or, or anything. I don't know. It was a really the craziest time to go from thinking I beat cancer to this is it. I'm going to die. I mean, I had literally just got married in April and there it is in June. I'm on my deathbed. And oh. it just felt like a really sick joke. Yeah, of course it did. How long were you on your deathbed? Was this just a couple? So of I hovered between life and death for over a month. And so you can imagine I lost a ton of weight. I had bed sores. Um, so, I mean, I was cut from like here to here. And then they had to leave it open and come out and like clean it and everything. I had a catheter like I. I couldn't walk, I couldn't get out of bed, I couldn't do anything. Um, because, I mean, the doctor's like, we can make you comfortable, we can give you painkillers, which of course just made, just made it worse with like the hallucinations. I really lost touch with a lot of like reality, um, just sitting in a room. This is like where my love of the, the coloring books came because that's where I found peace. It's really, I could just zone out and obviously I realize now it's like an act of meditation and of mindfulness just to zone out and choose the color and just to watch the pencils 
go through the the lines and everything, particularly like mandalas and stuff, like you just get so absorbed. Um, and I took a turn for the worse and I, I planned my funeral. And we had postponed our really big wedding ceremony and just had a small ceremony. And so I asked my mum if I could be buried in this big, beautiful wedding dress that I was never going to get to wear. And the interesting thing of what happened is by facing this fear head on and talking through the eulogy and the song that I wanted to be played and, and all of that, that evening I had this epiphany. It was the most beautiful, profound moment of, of my life. Well, I don't know if it was God, the universe, my higher self, me, whatever it was. I just felt this, this spark of life within me that was like, hey, it is not your time to go. This is not it. If you want to, you can. You can just go peacefully. But if you want to stay here, you have got to fight for it. You have got to live your life. Uh, so the next day when I woke up, the doctor came into my room and, and I had like loads of people coming in the room because, you know, I was an anomaly. You know, I had this one in a million reaction. I had an identical twin sister who's perfectly healthy. And there's me like, you know, lying there. So it was a very interesting case. And the doctor walked in the room and I remember saying to him, right, I've decided I'm going to live and I'm going to America. And I think it was like eight weeks or something for um, a trip with my then husband. <laughs> and the doctor was like, um, I don't think you understand like the severity of what's going on. I was like, no, 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 I've decided <laughs> I'm going to live. And I don't know whether it was my energy or serendipity, but he came up with this really radical therapy where he wanted to find a match for me um, to use somebody else's white blood cells to stimulate the growth of my own and it turns out my newlywed husband was a perfect match for me and it worked it was amazing and it was not an overnight miracle but you know it started this this process where they could wean me off the painkillers and I mean, the doctor thought there was something wrong with me. He sent a therapist to see me because he was like, she's lost it. She's, you know, she's gone. Um, but actually having this, this epiphany and this mindset, this complete shift was radical for me. And, you know, I had to learn how to walk again. I had to have physical therapy. I had a wheelchair. And then I graduated from like walking to the door to, walking down the corridor to walking to the garden. And that's kind of where my love of walking came from as well. Cause for me, that represents utter freedom. And I suddenly appreciated my entire body and my life and the beauty of nature and everything. I saw things so clearly, it's like this fog had lifted and I realized how beautiful and precious life really is. And so, not that I recommend 
getting cancer almost dying for anybody and it's kind of a sad state of affairs that a lot of us have to have something traumatic happen to have this moment but I am forever grateful because from that moment on I became a completely different version of myself and and I just love my entire life um, and my entire being with every fiber of my being I just love everything about my life I just love it oh my goodness what a story so can I just say and I'm sure lots of people have said this to you but I want to say it too I'm so glad that you stepped up and you made that choice because the world obviously needed you then and continues to need you now because I truly believe that we are all here for a reason I want to ask though when you look back can you mm -hmm. see, were there any other times in your life where you were getting the signal to slow down and you ignored it? Because what, oh, yeah. what you just described was, okay, it's almost as if the universe was like, Jesus, we've been telling her to slow down for, you know, 25 years and she's going to, okay, she's going to listen to this one, right? She won't yeah. have a choice but to listen this time. So you, you did, you can see that now in retrospect? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Definitely. I mean, I would say that I was a massive workaholic, massive workaholic. I derived a lot of self-worth from achieving things, doing things, but also being everything to everybody. But I was like a work hard, play hard kind of a girl as well. I mean, you know, I would go out like drinking Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, I'm like, I was on all the time. And it was just too much. And like, I would throw myself into things like at the deep end, not realizing that I was drowning. Yeah. And it's the same, like I got this job and I had worked and I had hustled to get that job. And, you know, I had digestive issues. Like even when I was at university, you know, I had endoscopies and everything and they never found anything. And like I can say now at 37 with all the experiences that I've had, like there were definitely signals that I needed to slow down, but also that I needed to process my emotions because I mean, a lot of it, I mean, maybe it is a British thing, but we really taught like, you know, stop crying. <laughs> you know, it's bad to feel these negative emotions. Nobody wants to see that, you know, stiff upper lip. You're okay. Keep going, brush yourself off. And so when you're used to that, you don't know how to process what you're going through. You've got no emotional resilience. So then when something like cancer comes, like you don't have, you don't know what to do with it. You don't have any strategies or coping methods or anything. You just, you bury it down. You know, like you're just pushing it down and you get so used to holding this space. You're not realizing you're blocking your energy. Like, and I do fully believe that we hold a lot of toxic energy by holding on to all of this trauma and memories and and every bad thing that's ever happened to you. We hold that in our bodies and you know, and, and I got cancer a second time, like after that, like I had that epiphany and I started to do some inner work. And then the cancer came back and they're like, boom, but hello, stage four. Before you tell us about the second onslaught of cancer, I want to go a little bit further into this idea that the British have been raised. And we, I have lots of British friends. I've lived in England. And you're right. There's this general consensus, you know, British, British, stiff upper lip, don't feel anything. Yes. But really, it is an, it's an epidemic that's worldwide. 
especially mm-hmm. the Western cultures, maybe not so much in, in, you know, other cultures, but I do agree that it was, it's one of the biggest misunderstandings and, and, uh, unfortunate incidences or unfortunate, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a lie that if you don't think about your emotions, it goes away because point you and I are both coaches. We both know now through definitely our own experiences and those of our clients that the only way to get over, and I put that in quotation marks, a challenging feeling is to give it some space. Mm-hmm. Right. And I actually just recorded a reel today for TikTok talking about recognizing that, first of all, feelings aren't facts. So you feel like a shit doesn't mean you are a shit. You can feel yeah. like a loser doesn't mean you are a loser. But also, you know, it's the only way to feel, to really look at and, and navigate your feelings is to give them the space to experience them because feelings come up for a reason. The hair, mm-hmm. you know, it's the body's way of saying, hey, I want to, I'm tapping you on the shoulder. You need to pay attention mm-hmm. to this or that. It, but it doesn't mean that we have to live there. So I think many of us grew up thinking, if I don't, if I don't think about the feeling, if I don't feel it, then I'm okay and it'll go away. Well, people, it never goes away. All that happens to your point is we just get sicker and sicker and the body finds a way to make us deal with it. So the English are not alone. And I grew up thinking (laughs) that's not a good feeling, you know, because we have, we'd have these labels of good and bad. That's bad. I shouldn't feel it versus that's interesting. Why am I feeling that? It's Mm -hmm. a huge difference. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So my mind is blown. And so is that of our audience because you got cancer again. I did. Okay. Tell us about that. Yeah. So after all of that, I actually got help. I went to a rehabilitation center and that's when I kind of dove into holistic health. I did, you know, mindfulness and meditation and art therapy and dance therapy and yoga and walking and like anything that you could possibly think of like I did it and I slowly started this this process of of changing my my mindset my perspective and I felt like I was coming out of the other side and we had postponed our honeymoon and we were going to the Maldives and the doctors are like, you're great, you're healthy, you're no evidence of disease. We're going to move your scans from every three months to every six months. And I'm like, yes, this is perfect. We have postponed our big wedding ceremony. We're going to celebrate me being one year cancer free and have this massive party with our friends coming from all over the world. And I went for my six month scan and they found a tumor in my liver. And I didn't realize this, but when cancer metastasizes, it automatically bumps you to stage four. Now, what you've heard and what everybody else has heard and what I heard is like stage four equals terminal. Like, like that is it. There is no stage five. <laughs> like, that's, this is it. So when the doctor said, I'm really sorry, there's a tumor in your liver. It's traveled from your colon. It's stage four. And I'm like, so what does that mean? He's like, well, we'll do surgery and we'll do treatment. And if it doesn't work, we're talking palliative care. And I'm like, no, no, I don't accept this. I was really, I was just not available for that. 
I really wasn't because I had started to do this mindset work. So I was like, okay, well, then what's the steps? What do I need to do? And so I had surgery and they cut me from like here to here and then across again. And so like I'm covered in scars and I was in hospital and the nurses are like, you are the most positive stage four cancer patient we've ever met. And I'm like, yeah, cool. Like, let's get going. Let's get me walking. Let's get me out because I realized, and this is like the, the, my biggest takeaway from everything. I could not control if the cancer came back or not. I could not control if some random thing is going to take me out, but I could control how I reacted to it. And that shift made my cancer journey as a stage four cancer patient completely different. You know, I would rock up to my chemotherapy, put my headphones on, listen to a meditation, munching my little snacks. You know, I, I like I, ha I had my go bag ready to go, you know, with my drinks and my teas and like my feel good things. I knew what to expect, but I could preempt those bad days and I started to communicate how I was really feeling because with the first cancer I had put on this mask of toxic positivity I had pulled it out I didn't want to be a burden to anybody and so I pushed down that anxiety and that fear and as we know like that's exhausting pretending all the time but also in that place that fear and anxiety can fester and you play this what if game, like what if this happens? What if this happens? And this negative thought cycle just continues and it drags you down. Well, I knew that I needed to break that cycle. And so stage four was just like another Tuesday for me. Like <laughs> I know that sounds blase, but um I was just like, this is not gonna take me out. I'm not this is just it. I'm not accepting that reality. And so, yeah, I had surgery and I have more chemo and I can now happily say I'm celebrating four years, no evidence of disease. And in two weeks time, I'm going for my next scan. And then next year I will officially be classed as being in remission. And I truly believe that our mindset is so pivotal for health because there is a mind-body connection. So we're going to take a short break right now, but I'll be back with my guest within 60 seconds. Ladies, unlock your inner badass and transform your life with my monthly subscription workshop. For just $47 a month, you'll have exclusive access to work closely with me, Mahara Wayman, as we dive deep into all things badass from personal development to conquering your goals. Imagine waking up every day with confidence, purpose, and a smile that radiates your newfound strength. Take advantage of this badass opportunity and join us today at www.mindfulnesswithmahara.com and start your journey toward a happier, more confident you. Smile when no one is looking. You've earned it. I could have sat in my victimhood. I could have sat in there and been like, this is not fair. This is not okay that I'm going through this a second time I could have wallowed in my grief and railed at the world at the unfairness of it all but because I'd had that near-death experience I was like well tomorrow's not guaranteed for anybody just because you have cancer doesn't mean you're going to die first you could get hit by a bus and it sounds morbid but actually looking at 
at your life as a gift changes everything. Because most of us, we go through everything and just like, it's just life. <laughs> I, you know what, it's not morbid. And I think it's really, I think it's powerful that you're able to speak about it this way. And to your point, I mean, it sounds cliche and I know, and I don't mean, and I know you don't mean to negate anybody's fear when they are going mm -hmm. through either a, a terminal diagnosis or just a really traumatic experience. But when we can fully embrace and understand that we are number one, spiritual beings having a human existence, but we always have a choice. We can choose to, I don't want to say give in, but we can choose to accept the limitations that are put on us by the outside world, by mm -hmm. the authorities, by the medical profession, for example, or yeah. question. Hmm. And it sounds like you obviously were forced to question again, but you had that realization that there are things I can't control, but there are things I can control. Yeah. And what I'm hearing, and this is very brave and very badass is is choosing to be in control through the discomfort and the disappointment and the disillusionment like holy fuck i got it again mm -hmm. like what you want me to learn this lesson again okay but what i did hear was that this time around you actually were much more honest about your feelings and what you could do and couldn't do versus the first time around where you were like no this toxic positivity, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because I think it is, it's, it's, um, well, it's toxic, right? It's, it's really not the yeah. way. And I, I struggle even myself. Sometimes, you know, I grew up with a fake it till you make it. Oh but yeah. I don't like saying that anymore. Cause like, no, no. How about I just admit that I'm hurting or uncomfortable or any one of the beautiful words that I now know as an adult, rather than just say, rather than just the fake smile. So hats off to you. And thank you for sharing your story, because I, I know that there are listeners that can resonate not only with the fear, but with the power of recognizing that when we take control of our actions, magic happens. We may not like the path, right? No one wants to be given a terminal diagnosis. No one mm -hmm. wants to break their legs. No one wants to have a heartache or lose their job, any of that stuff. But when we can recognize the fear and take action anyway exactly really makes the journey easier and in fact i think opens up the path for some for some beautiful miracles so thank you for sharing that story so i just want to make sure i've got this right yeah you are now cancer free i love it yes you've done a tremendous amount of work and mm -hmm. while you love being a teacher you have also decided and made the very courageous decision to start your own business. And I know it's courageous because I'm doing it too. So, <laughs> and now you've got two children, but before I we do. kids, what was it about your journey? Or can you remember when you said, okay, I want to do something like this for a living? Yes. I know exactly when I, yes. I went back to work and I did a parent teacher meeting and I was meeting the parents for the first time. And the class teacher started by telling an anecdote about how he had bumped into a pupil that he had taught, I think it was over 10 years ago. And I had this visceral, no, mm -mm, mm -mm. I don't want to do this for another 10 years. I don't want to still, 
And it's funny because I had worked so hard for that. I had gone through the chemo and the rehabilitation and everything and gone back to work. And I even did an additional teaching qualification. And I did it all on while I was pregnant and then on maternity. And this is all during COVID. Like it was, you know, it was a huge thing because I was just waiting to go back to work and, and step into this life that I put on hold. And then I got back and this visceral, uh-uh, uh-uh, this is, this is not it. And it was so weird because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew it was not that. And I can't even tell you what it was about it. It was just this, this, this moment, like physically I recoiled. <laughs> I was just like, nope. And I remember coming home and talking to my husband and I was like, I don't want to be a teacher anymore. And he was like, what do you mean? Like, this is your dream. This is everything. And I'm like, no, it's not, this is not it anymore. So I had to, yeah, I spent like almost a year trying different things. I was journaling it out. I was diving into writing. I was doing courses on, on children's writing and books. And I had still been doing therapies and meditation and hypnotherapy. And I talked to one of my girlfriends who, was a kindergarten teacher and she was miserable so I was like babe you've got one life like who are you waiting for like who who do you wait want to give you permission to go after your dream what do you want to do and she's like oh you're gonna laugh at me I'm like I will never laugh at you like you're the safe space here I'm gonna be your biggest cheerleader she wanted to be a potter so I was like then learn to do pottery and she's like well it's not easy I'm like it is it is that easy we put all these things in, in front of us, these, these hurdles, these obstacles. But actually, if you have a dream and a vision and a goal and a why and a purpose, and it outweighs those fears, those anxieties, those doubts, you've got to just have the courage to do it. Just take one step and then another step. And so she became a potter. Like she has her own studio and everything. And I was like, maybe I should take my own advice. <laughs> what is it that I really want to do? Really dig into it. And I think sometimes we are afraid to be uncomfortable with our own thoughts. We make decisions based on what we think others want us to do or what we think the logical step would be. And I really had to pull that all aside. And I was like, why don't I take my experience as a cancer survivor and as a teacher and all of my experiences and retrain so that I can help people make rapid emotional and mental healing. Because by using hypnotherapy and neuro-linguistic program, like you can dive straight to the subconscious, the root of where all of our decisions and actions and habits live and our trauma <laughs> and like make rapid changes. Why not do that? And at the time I was pregnant, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. So for my entire pregnancy, I was studying. And even the day after I gave birth, <laughs> I was online doing one of my courses because I, I have this passion and this spark and I'm living a life that is so abundant and joyful. And I feel like this is what I was meant to be doing. Not that I wish I had cancer, but I'm taking that experience and I am helping others 
navigate their own journeys with authenticity and positivity and been like, hey, it's hard and it's okay that it's hard. But if like you want to help to get out of it, let me help you. Let me walk beside you. And yeah, stepping into this this new role is just magical. It really is. Those of you that aren't watching the video, go to YouTube and watch the video because her energy, first of all, it was always beautiful, but when she, just now, it was through the roof and it's really lovely to see. And Natalie, I can appreciate what you're saying because, you know, I have a very similar experience. Bottom line is when we are brave enough to sit mm -hmm. with the discomfort of being a human being, magic can happen. And if you need help with that, then there are people around you to help. You are not alone on your journey. Natalie wasn't alone. I'm not alone. And you're not alone. So just a little plug for, for coaching and therapy. And what there's lots mm -hmm. of modalities that work. But what I think is really special about your story, Natalie, is that you faced the fear anyway. Mm -hmm. Because you came to a point where you're like, I can't, I can't pretend. You know, you can't pretend when you're in a hospital and you're all cut up and open. And they're like, mm, plan, your, plan your funeral. There's no pretending anymore. And I think it's incredibly courageous of you to have stepped up to your greatness. One of the things I talk about a lot with my clients and just in general is we are not here by accident. And every single person on this earth has a story and has a purpose. And do not be afraid to explore what your purpose is. If And, and it's okay to change your mind, right? Because, you know, it just blows my mind that we expect kids 16 and 17, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then yeah. we're like, you know, let's go to school for six years and spend $100,000 on an education. And so many of them change their minds or like, you know, I don't even want to do this. But mm -hmm. all these reasons that we know we get trapped into pretending to be something that we're not. So part of my work is helping clients to understand, you know, being badass is just being yourself. And if yourself yeah. to stay home and eat chocolate and listen to Dave Matthews all the time, you know, go for it. You may not want to live like that forever, but it's okay to acknowledge what it is that you really want out of life. So I want to move forward a little bit. You've got two children. I do. Congratulations. It's the best job ever being a mom. My children are all grown 20 and 25. I'm curious though, as you sit in this place of joy and gratitude and happiness and just excitement and, and, and a lightness for your life. And you look at your two children. What's the number one thing that you want to teach them? Oh, that is a good question. For me, it is, I want to teach them emotional resilience. I really want to teach them that it is okay to feel your feelings. And, you know, I am a coach and I am trained, but God, I catch myself sometimes repeating that same generational like things that you get taught, right? You know, like my my son would cry and I'm like, you're fine, get up, you're okay. And I'm like, actually, it's okay. You know, he's in the terrible twos and he's having tantrums. And I sit with him, I'm like, it's okay if you're angry. It is okay for being frustrated. It's not okay for you to throw things at your sister, <laughs> but it's okay. And I acknowledge his feelings and I give him a space to feel those emotions because I mean, this poor little guy, he's like in this chaos, right? And I have to be the calm in the storm. God, it is difficult sometimes. Like being a mom is probably the hardest job out there for sure. 
but I want my children to grow up in a world where they know that like there are no good feelings and there are no bad feelings feelings are just feelings and the like the thing that we know the most is like our feelings and our thoughts create our feelings and our feelings create our behaviors right so like I need to model the best behavior that I can for my children to give them a leg up because it's guaranteed they're going to face struggles and challenges and setbacks and obstacles because that is the human experience, right? Nobody, nobody gets out of life unscathed. There's going to be something. And I don't want them to have to experience something as traumatic as almost dying or cancer to be able to like process their emotions. And I feel like connecting with that will allow them to be true to themselves. They're not going to allow any outside forces to convince them that they need to be this, or they need to do this or feel this feeling because they're going to know who they are. I felt lost for a really long period of time. And now I'm like, this is who I am. And I know that I'm too much for some people. I know that. I know that, you know, I'm a little bit too woo for some people. You know, they think I'm like barefoot, barefoot, crystal hugging, tree hugging person or, or whatever. And I know that it's too much for people, but I do feel like I have manifested my dream life. And it doesn't matter to me what other people think anymore because I love myself and I want my kids to love themselves. They don't need me to tell them how amazing they are. They need to know it. And how can they know it if I'm not like, oh my God, isn't that amazing? I don't know if I answered your question. (laughs) But it really brought up something else. So first of all, I love that answer for what you want for your children. And I applaud you for that. What it made me think of though was, you know, as a parent and as a member of society, not only do we want to instill emotional intelligence with our children and with ourselves, but I think one of the things that I've seen missing is we have become, for the most part, incredibly lazy with language. And when I got turned on to Susan David and her work on emotional intelligence, I really resonated with this with this conversation that was, yes, but what are you really feeling? Because, and mm-hmm. I would say, I remember saying it to my kids and they would get so mad at me, like they'd be pissed, they'd be angry. And they're like, I'm so upset, mom. I'm like, really? Why are you upset? I'm just upset. No, 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 you got to listen. There are a th- probably 25 words in the English language that you can use. You're 15. Let's choose a better word. And they're like, okay, who are you? And why are you speaking to me like this? But I wanted (laughs) them to get really clear on what it was. Are you embarrassed? Are you tired? Are you, are you, you know, all of these long list of things Mm -hmm. that all fall under the umbrella of upset, but let's get to, let's get very clear on what you're feeling. And it's part of this emotional intelligence conundrum that if we don't have the words, how can we express it? And as mm-hmm. a parent, I remember thinking when my children were very little, like, oh my God, if you could just talk, if you could just tell me what's wrong with you, then I could fix it. And therein lies the problem because if we don't learn the language, if we're not given permission to explore that feeling and then given the tools to identify the feeling as being A, B, C, D, E, or F, mm-hmm. how, do, how do we possibly become comfortable with ourselves? So I love that that's what you want to share with your little ones, whether you have kids or not. If you just take a moment and picture what your world would look like if everyone had the level of emotional intelligence that 
Natalie and I are talking about, yourself included, what would that world look like? I think it would be flipping awesome. Bad things would still happen, but it may not have the effect and the and the domino effect in our society that we have seen so much. And I'm just talking even in our families, right? If we could learn oh, to yeah. and have and give ourselves permission. That's another thing that that I wanted to mention to you was hats off to you for giving yourself permission to go through this and to grow from it rather than to not. Definitely. And I think we all need to experience and practice like self-compassion as well, because I mean, you know, just because I am a coach doesn't mean that I don't have bad days or I have bad feelings. Even yesterday I had, I had a little bit of a breakdown, but actually I needed that breakdown to be able to break through. I think I had been pushing so hard with being a mom and doing my business and doing all these things that I hadn't just allowed myself to be like, you know, and, and that's what happened yesterday. I just, I was on a call with some of my girlfriends and I just started to cry and I can't tell you like what set it off, but I needed that release. And I think sometimes we have to remind ourselves that we also need to prioritize our own self-care and self-compassion. And I had this, you know, again, this inner voice, which always comes from your childhood, doesn't it? It's that if you're not doing something, you're lazy. And actually just being is so powerful. And that's one of the reasons why I like the coloring book, because it, it gave me that peace. Um, but now I'm learning to like be a little bit more strategic with my mindfulness. And I'm like, I don't actually need to do anything to just be for a moment, whatever that looks like. And I think that that is also something that we can learn throughout our day. And this is why I'm, I try and teach my children. And I, I tell anybody really like, when was the last time you took a few deep breaths? Like, seriously, when did you last just breathe and be? So beautiful. Oh my goodness. So much, so much wisdom in your story. And I'm so thankful that we connected and that uh, I want to thank you again for sharing your story with us. What are three things that you'd like to share or leave with our listeners? Three little tips that you've learned to help you either be mindful, to be present, to be calm, to be happy. Okay. So my top tip is if you are really feeling down, I mean, it doesn't matter like how bad that feeling is, move your body. Because if you change your physi physiology, it changes your mood. So whether that is going out for a walk in nature or whacking on some tunes and dancing around your house, whatever it is, but you'll find if you move your body and, and change your energy, it changes your mood instantly. Because we cannot feel two things at once. Like we're either happy or we're sad at that particular time, whatever that is. And so allowing yourself just to move your body changes your mood. The second thing is breathing. Um, one of my favorite breathing techniques, um, we call it the chill seeker breathing. You literally just inhale through your nose, hold your breath for the mental count of three, and then exhale through the mouth for the mental count of five. And when you do that, your whole body relaxes. You're getting oxygen in your body, which, hey, you need that to live, right? It's amazing how when we're, we're tense, we breathe so shallowly. And by actually breathing and just connecting in that moment and allowing yourself to relax, you can end up being more productive and more creative. 
and it improves your sleep as well and just gives you this little i call them pockets of peace it's just this moment where i can just relax so that is my second tip and my third thing i love 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 affirmations and ask formations um so i start my morning by saying you know i'm happy healthy and wealthy i'm radiant and i glow um i think i am glowing um but i also use ask formations where i'm like why am i so happy why am i so healthy and that changes it slightly because then my brain is like oh how do we how do we make that happen so i use them both interchangeably and by starting my day like literally i open my eyes before i do anything i say my affirmations and ask affirmations and it just kind of sets up my day so yeah i think that that's really my top three things i love them i'm just going to repeat them real quick for you guys number one move number two breathe number three affirm and ask oh yeah i love it natalie thank you so much for this conversation Guys, check the show notes. I want you to be able to connect with her and see all of the amazing work that she's doing. My name is Mahara. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. And I'll see you next week on The Art of Badassery. I think we can all agree Natalie is badass. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to The Art of Badassery. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and gained valuable insights to help unleash your inner badass. If you found this podcast helpful, please leave a rating or review on your favorite platform. Your feedback not only helps me improve the show, but it also helps others like yourself discover the podcast. Until next time, keep embracing your authenticity and living life on your terms. Here's to you.